If you would open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Now coming to the end of this book, which in some ways is a very dark book, but a very realistic book. Let's bow before the Lord. Father, as always, we are grateful that we have uh, the privilege and the opportunity to gather together in the name of Christ. Father, we are grateful because uh, we gather, Lord, as those who have been saved by your grace. And because of your goodness to us, we have come to understand that we owe everything to you. And that it is right for us and proper for us to come and gather together in your name. And to worship you, to bow before you, to seek to honor you. And Father, along with that, we know from your word that our own hearts will be strengthened and encouraged as we honor you. As we remember all that you have done for us. And Lord, it's our habit as we worship you to together open your word. We focus everything on your word, Father. We hear it being read. As we pray, we focus on your word. We use your word to remind us, Father, of what you have done for us. Father, also we turn to your word that we may gain understanding and wisdom for life. Father, we may understand you better. That we may have the tools that we need to be able to comprehend the life that we see before us. That we will have understanding of what goes on around us and why. The Lord, that we will understand what the future holds. Father, we'll again have the wisdom and the ability to be able to respond as we ought to to the various circumstances and oftentimes trials that we find ourselves in. And so, Father, we ask that you would bless us with your word. And again, we thank you for it and ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Ecclesiastes 12, beginning in verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home. And... The mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. As I was reading through several different books in the book of Ecclesiastes, I came across this one which said that when you read through Ecclesiastes, it becomes clear that the theme of this book is the necessity of fearing God in a fallen and therefore frequently confusing and frustrating world. And we've seen a great deal of that as Solomon has mentioned or we've used the phrase that everything is meaningless or that everything is vanity. The idea that what, as he looks at the world, it is at times confusing. It can be very frustrating to make sense of what goes on and why things go the way that they go. 
And then along with that, we are affected by the world. We are also affected by sin itself. And, and as we live lives, live our lives, we allow things to get big to the point that it seems that life itself becomes something that is small. I want you to listen to this. Faithful Christian living involves turning away from self and toward God. A daily exercise of remembering that we were made to know and love God. That we were made to be known and loved by God. And that God is at the center of all things. I do believe that that is one of the things that Solomon is getting at. As you read again in the beginning of verse 1, Remember also your Creator. That's not just some passing passing statement that he makes. The idea with that phrase is that for you and I to make a determined effort, to make it a part of our conscious living, to remember God. It is not that you and I are going to forget that God exists. We, We know that God exists. But the idea here is that He is central to our thoughts. And what makes that at times maybe more difficult, besides the fact that we often become busy, is sometimes, for at least some, there's this idea that somehow that if we are to make God central to our thinking, it's almost like it's a separate part of life. That we can't do the normal things of living if that's the case. That there's this discombobulation between what is spiritual and thinking about God. That's what you do in church. That's what you do in Bible study. That's what you do in prayer meeting. But I've got I to go to work tomorrow. The idea with this is that when we go to work tomorrow, remember God, your Creator. When you are dealing with individuals, those who may be nice to deal with, as well as those who may be contrary, remember God, your Creator. He is to be central to all things. Let me just kind of, you know, I've, I've, I don't think I'm railing against it, but I know I've brought it up a great deal over the past couple of years. But once again, you know, our phones, which I'm not against phones, uh, I have actually a very large one because I'm having a hard time focusing. So I get a big one. Looks like when I first got it, I thought it was a shoebox that was, you know, hello. It looks like almost like an, like an iPad, but, you know, it seems now that people are getting bigger phones again. But the idea is, is that phones can also be a very big distraction. They can distract us from these central truths by telling us a very different story. And the idea with that is all the things which usually involve social media and what that offers to individual. There is a myth that is behind all of those apps, behind all those programs that vie for our attention. And so this, the, the myths that they put out transform us into shells of the human beings that God has called us to be. There was a young girl who had gone in for counseling, and her parents, and she agreed uh, that she needed to get counseling because her life was just completely messed up. And a large part of it was, maybe a majority of it, was because of social media and all the things that she accessed on her phone. And so she was counseled that, well, maybe what she needed to do was just to smash her phone. And she admitted that the phone... All that it represented and all that it brought into her life was destroying her life. So she wasn't just saying that it was a problem. She was admitting that it was destroying her life. When she was counseled to smash her phone, she immediately stated that she just couldn't get rid of it. Because if she got rid of her phone, she would have no life. A lot of people who think that way. Whatever it is, but maybe it's it's more so this uh, social media kind of thing now than ever before. 
it does tend to affect young people more than those of us who are older, but they do have that sense that they would have no life. Another person who was in for counseling admitted that her phone was basically her idol. And she said that she could not destroy it, because if she did, she would disappear. That's why the phrasing to the Christian, Remember God your Creator. It prevents that from happening. That is where we find our identity, not in these things. Oz Guinness said it this way, It used to be, I think, therefore I am. Now it is, I post or I tweet, therefore I am. Individuals having this sense that that they want to be important, or they want to be heard, or at least they want to be reassured of their own existence. And so they will tweet, or they will post something, and based on the number of likes they get, or whatever terms they they happen to, to use on some of those applications, that gives to them a sense that they are real, that they are alive, and that maybe in some small way they are important. Sometimes, at least again, for those of us who aren't entrapped by that, which oftentimes is defined by age, because we were fortunate. I, was, I didn't grow up with a phone. Uh, I did see a funny cartoon the other day. It was a cartoon that, was, uh, that someone drew today, but it was depicting a family back in the 1960s. And there's those big rotary phones sitting on the table with the cord going back to the wall. And the kids are eating, and they all have a big phone in front of them, and they're staring at it. And the dad says, stop staring at your phones. <laughs> and I just, how strange it would have been to have heard that statement back during those days. But the point, the point is, is we, we think how, how sad it is that individuals are at this point to where if they, if they don't have that phone, if they don't have continuous access to it, there is a sense that they will disappear. There's a sense that they, they don't even exist. Again, that's why he says, remember your creator. And he says specifically, in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near. I'll talk more about it later, but the evil days he's talking about is age. When you get older. That's the evil days and the years draw near. That's that's what he's pointing to. So contrary to the warnings of the word of God, the command of Scripture to not be conformed to the world or not be conformed by the world, we are. The struggle is very real when it comes to that. We are greatly influenced by the world. All of the time. Every single thing that we're influenced by is not necessarily bad. But a great deal of it can be. In 1998, there was a film that was called Pleasantville. It was uh, released in 1998. It's a story of a brother and sister. They travel back in time to a a black and white, wholesome world of a 1958 TV show. So the the, the movie begins in black and white. Now, I've not seen it. Maybe one day I'll watch it. But anyway, uh, I was reading about it. uh, And I remember seeing the commercials for this, about this. You know, I just knew there was a movie that was in black and white. And then for some reason, as you get toward the end of the movie, things start becoming in color. And I'm assuming that at the end the whole thing is in color. But nonetheless, that's what this movie is about. This brother and sister, they go back in time. They're in a, they live in a black and white world. Uh, and they are in the world of a 1958 TV show. One of the brilliant ploys uh, of, the, uh, of, of the writers was to make these two become much more aware of social issues. Such as racism and freedom of speech. But that isn't the main point. 
that can be easily pointed to as being one of the main issues of the film, but that's not what's going on. Because this is what happened. In the film, the townspeople wake up to their sexual desires. And as a result, objects in their town shift from black and white to color. The bad guys are men in power who see these changes as detrimental and seek to clamp down on the colorful influences by banning books and music and those, those kinds of things. By the end of the movie, the world has changed from being the antiseptic 1950s to the colorful and life-giving expression of sexuality. Trevin Wax wrote a book about, about or an action article about this, and he points out that Pleasantville is a reverse take on the Christian story of creation, fall, and redemption. Whereas in the biblical story, sin leads to spiritual death, in Pleasantville, sin is what colors the world and leads to spiritual vitality. Film is a very powerful means of expression. Film is a very powerful means to portray a philosophy, to not only uh, represent the philosophy that's prevailing, but maybe to continue to push a philosophy. And as we watch these stories, sometimes these things can begin to influence us without our really knowing about that or understanding it. It's just we begin to change very subtly. And that's how that movie did it. So if you begin to criticize the movies, you say, oh, no, no, you misunderstand. As they became aware of social issues, uh, they were enlightened and the world came into color. Well, but those who watch the film, that's not the main thing. It's the other. Another prevalent theme in film, if you watch movies, and also music, is that fulfillment is found in romantic love. This longing for a soulmate really is a misplaced desire for God to be known and to know God. We were created, as we saw many months ago in the book of Ecclesiastes, with eternity in our hearts. And so once again, looking at the text, after he says, remember that also you're creating the days of your youth, so he's telling us, when you are young, remember your creator. He's establishing a foundation for your life. And he says, you need to do this before a certain thing begins to happen. What is that? That's before the evil days come and the years draw near. So he's talking about those things that come with age. Not, not just you know the aging of the body, but just the experiences of life as well as age because as you get older, of course, you're drawing near to death. What does it say? It says, where before you will say, I have no pleasure in them. There's a time coming when days are not going to be filled with pleasure and happiness and joy all the time because things are falling apart or falling off or you go through a great deal of experience. We all know as we get older that the older we get, the more funerals we go to. Because, and we become much more aware of death because our friends, our contemporaries are, are dying. We sometimes will even express, I can't believe so-and-so has died. When it comes to someone who's famous, maybe someone that you knew about when you were younger, when they die, we're suddenly struck with the realization that they got old and died, and we're on the same path. He says in verse 2, Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain. Again, all the symbolism is using here is, I, I believe, basically moving in the same direction. He's just, once again taking all of life, the direction that life goes, the direction that life normally goes for individuals as we get older. As we get older, uh, the light begins to dim because you, can, you, don't, you can't see as well. He says in verse 3, In the day uh, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. There's a day when we see that happening. We see individuals, as you get older, you begin to stoop. Individuals begin to tremble. 
all kinds of things begin to happen um, to the individual, whether it's just the effects of old age, or maybe it's injuries from the past, and then as you get older, those things begin to happen. I don't know if you've experienced this yet. Um, if you haven't, I know you will, but I know that I do. Uh, I wake up in the morning, and all of a sudden, something else hurts. And I'm, I'm trying to think, what did I do? Well, it could be that I'm hurting now because of some things I did when I was in my 20s. And after all this time, now it hurts. And so you don't, it doesn't necessarily mean you did anything yesterday or the day before. I, I'll never forget one time I was talking to my dad and he had told me that, um, this happened a couple of years ago, he, he took himself to the hospital. That doesn't happen with my dad. Never complains. Just if, if it hurts, it hurts. You just go on with life. So for him to take himself to the hospital, it had to really be something that was causing him great concern. And it was, and it was, he, he thought it was his heart. And after being examined, everything was checked out, and they kind of reviewed with him what he had done over the past couple of days. The doctor said, I think what you've done is you've just pulled a muscle in your chest. He said, What? All I did the other day was rake leaves. <laughs> doctor said, Well, you know, you are older. How long did you rake leaves? Just for a few hours. I didn't feel sore. He said, well, that could have been it. So all of that concern he had, all that pain, it was, he pulled a muscle raking leaves. So the more of the story is don't rake leaves. <laughs> if you're older. But anyway, the point is, is that kind of, those kinds of things happen. And that's what he's talking about here. About the trembling, and again, the strong men being bent, and the grinders ceasing because there are few. Those who, you know, are grinding the, uh, uh, the the grain down so that you can cook with it. Those who look through the windows are dim. There's all kinds of commentaries to talk about who that is. Who are those who look through the windows? What's he talking about? Even one even said, "Well, it's the women who have nothing else to do, and they sit in the house and look out the windows at that people." Well, perhaps I don't know. Uh, all I know is their eyesight's affected too. Um, he says, "In the doors of the street." Are, are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. So the idea is, is your hearing starts to, starts to go, you can't hear. At the same time, though, you're so sensitive that one bird sings in the morning, you're up. 4.30 a.m. and you can't go back to sleep. Uh, all the daughters of the song are brought low. They are afraid of what is high. You get more afraid of heights. Uh, terrors are in the way. And then he says, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags it along, and desire fails. And we know that our desire for things begins to go down because man is what? Man is going to his eternal home. So our view of life begins to change because of all these changes. All this is going on. He says, so, again, remember the point of all of this. Remember God, your creator, before all these things begin to happen. I think that's important. Before all these things begin to happen. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Before old age sets in, before death, remember your Creator. Again, this is not some sentimental, intellectual nodding of the head that, yes, I believe that God exists. That is not what he's saying. Again, it is a statement to remember God, meaning He is the center of everything and the measure of everything. 
too often individuals have said this, where in, when they get in their 60s or in their 70s or in their 80s, and, and they look back on their life and said, they remember a time when they were thinking to themselves, I need to get my life on the right track. I need to do a better job of, of obeying the Lord. I need to do a better job of listening to what the Word of God says. I need to do a better job of reading the Word of God. And it, next thing you know, you're 50. Oh, I just I, I know I need to do this, and I, I know I'd be a better person if I did this. I know I'd have more patience if I did this. And and we keep making these promises to ourselves, and next thing you know, five years goes by, ten years goes by, and now it's too late. And not only is it too late, too often what happens is is even then when you're seventy, you still don't start to do that. We still continue to put it off. Paul puts his finger on a, in 2 Corinthians when he warns his readers not to delay faith and repentance. In chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, he says, Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Then he quotes from Isaiah 49. He says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I read one individual who said that you can receive God's grace in vain, and one sure way of receiving God's grace in vain is by delaying to give an answer to it, and to obey it, and to embrace it when it is given to you. When we speak of God's grace, remember that we are normally, or often speaking generally, of God's favor to you. Uh, Grace is always the goodness of God that is expressed towards us that is undeserved. So when you and I become awakened to the gospel and we understand what that is, that's God's grace. When we are maybe in a new way awakened to our daily need for God, that is God's grace. We, we do see God's grace when He answers our prayer. We do see God's grace when He heals our bodies. We do see God's grace when we receive good things. But this is also an aspect of God's grace, maybe the more important aspects of God's grace. So we can receive God's grace in vain when we become aware of these things and we fail to respond. We just we don't do anything with it. In other words, what he's telling us here is we need to strike while the iron is hot because it isn't always hot and it may never be again in your case. So seek the Lord while He may be found and call upon Him while He is near. Isaiah 55 verse 6. Why? Because God can't always be found. That is an aspect we don't talk much about. But God is the one who's saying, seek God while He may be found. The implication there is at least there may be a time in your life when He cannot be found. And we can get into a long discussion as to why that would be the case. But nonetheless, that would be the case. And... It also makes the assumption there will be times that he is not always near. We know definitely there are times as a Christian we, can't, we don't always sense the nearness of God. How important that is or not in our everyday living is time for, you know, we can discuss that another time. I do know there are moments in time when that is important to have that sense. But here he's just making this statement in Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he, while he may be found. Because there will be a time coming when he won't be found. You won't be able to find him. He won't be near. It's a bad place to be in. Without an active practice of faith and love for God and obedience to God and of serving the kingdom of God, the trials and tribulations of life put an increasing distance between the soul and God until unbelief 
and disobedience are second nature and it's too late. You know, that does, that does happen very regularly with believers even. Individual may say, you know, like, again, may, I don't know if you did this or not, but this morning in our prayer of confession, maybe you were looking back over the last year and you were thinking, you know, I, uh, I didn't really read the Word of God as often as I should have. Now, I know for a fact that I didn't pray like I should have prayed. And so perhaps what that was leading you to was the idea that, you know, even though we don't, we don't, a lot of us don't really believe in New Year's resolutions, we do like new beginnings. And so maybe it would be a good thing at the beginning of the year, you know, I want this year to be different spiritually for me than it was last year. And so I'm, I'm going I'm to read Scripture on a regular basis. I'm going to pray on a regular basis. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, and we know this can happen to us very easily. Where maybe you are very firm in your commitment to, to the point that you miss a day this week and, and you feel guilty. But that you don't really respond to any of that. And then after a while you may miss a couple of days or three days or four days. And pretty soon it becomes second nature to live your life without reading the Word of God. There's no pangs of guilt. They just... Uh, in fact, you, you might even admit it by saying, admit that you've, yeah, I know I should pray for, but yeah, you know how it is, we get busy. <laughs> There's no guilt there, we just kind of make the statements, knowing maybe we should feel guilty, maybe not even thinking about that, but in other words, we just, we just come to accept it, as if it's all okay. If it's not okay. And you are the one that's going to suffer. You're not the only one that's going to suffer as a result of that. But you are going to suffer. When I say that you're going to suffer from that, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to be struck with appendicitis. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to get the flu and you're going to have a severe case of it. Yeah, that could happen. But too often what happens is, is, is the suffering that takes place is, is wisdom that you could have had, you don't get, and perhaps the wisdom that you do have begins to leave. You begin to forget things. You, you begin to forget God, your creator. You, you, you begin to, to miss out on the peace of God. It continues to go slowly. We, we become more and more like the world in that sense. And too often what happens is we begin to accept it. We, again, we know that from reading Solomon and just from reading our, uh, living our life that, that life is beyond our understanding, that it is a vapor, that it is here today and gone tomorrow. And because of that, we should live accordingly. We, we, we need to be wise. Being wise is living according to that truth. So if you are young, don't wait to heed the Lord's call to begin to practice your faith, to learn the Word of God, to love the Lord, to love His church, to love His people, to make it a daily practice of real and earnest talking with God, of, sharing of, the, of the sharing of your faith, of keeping of God's commands, all of them. First of all, it will make your life a lot more interesting than it is now. But even more important, it will get you where you need to be by the time you get there. Don't ever assume that you have more time. Don't ever assume that, no matter what your age, whether you're 15, 25, 55, don't assume you have more time because you really have no idea. You do not know how much time you have. I have no idea how much time I have. I would like to be able to, whenever I die, to have zero regrets. Now, I know that's right now, I, that's not true. I have lots of regrets. Tons of them. Things I wish I could go back and change, I can't. 
Perhaps you have many things you'd like to go back and change, and you can't. But you know, we can change right now. We can change the things that are going on right now. We can become different right now. We can ensure that the same mistakes aren't being made. Perhaps, in God's grace, that as we change, there may be some things that in the past that we can kind of undo, or that maybe we can repair. But we, but we can't go back in time. And so that's why he gives us this urgent warning. That's why he went through all those chapters of all those things that are so confusing about life. And he gets right back to the central point. And so don't assume. You don't know if you have tomorrow, much less the next 50 years. I remember when I was younger, I, I, I was going to say, I remember I, I did something foolish. Actually, I did a lot of foolish things when I was younger and stupid. But I remember one time I was kind of thinking about, you know, when, when Cindy and I began to have kids... And so I was, you know, all gung-ho. I want to be a good dad. I love my kids and all those things. And so I said, well, I said, Lord, I don't know what my future has in store for me, but just if at least let me live until my youngest is 18. I, wa I want to be the one to raise my kids. So, so let me live till I'm 18. And then my youngest got 18. Oh, Lord! This is going really well. I, you know, I've got these, I got grandkids coming now. Let me live. You know, all of a sudden I realized my perspective changed a great bit, a great deal. But the idea is, is that, you know, I was thinking about the future. We don't know what the future holds. And as a result of that, we need to take a very good, hard, strong look at ourselves and what he's telling us to do. Again, remember that we often do this, or at least this can become very, this is a very natural thing for us, and that is to say to ourselves, because we know quite a bit about certain people in their lives. Yeah, I wish so-and-so was hearing this. Sometimes I see this, depending on what I'm preaching on. I can see husbands and wives, the ones that sit together in church. And I can tell when one of them believes that the message applies to the other one. Because there's different ways they do that. Now there are some who just do this. You know, that just, that's kind of obvious to everybody around what's going on. But others, they have this real sly thing. They kind of sit back. They move back like this, and then, like they're looking to see if they're paying attention, and they slowly get back forward. Others may not see that, but I see it. <laughs> Sometimes I'm trying to hold it together, but uh, uh, nonetheless. But the idea is, here really again, is that because we don't know, we, we need to make these changes. We need, to, we need to think about our lives and what God says. For those of us who are no longer young, don't wait to do what you still have the wits and the energy to do. Because the day will come, maybe sooner than we think, when you will have neither the energy or the wits in sufficient quantity to do much of anything. That's just a reality of life. Some are blessed as they get older and their health holds up strong and they're still able to do a great deal. All of us understand this. We, there's individuals we've seen that are in their 80s that are still full of vitality and energy and good health. And we think that's fantastic. And it is. And that's why sometimes we scratch our head because there can be someone else who just turned 70, which seems increasingly young to me. And they've just turned 70 and their whole life physically is just falling apart. Like they're not going to make it for another couple of years. There's a, huge, there's a huge difference between dying at 72 and dying at 82. Those 10 years can be fantastic. And for many they are. So don't just assume though you're going to have them. You don't know that. Or that you're going to have them in good measure. Or in good health. Remember, 
God your creator. Generally in life, we ought to get, as we get older, we should get wiser, especially Christians. But again, we're being reminded that there comes a point at which very often wisdom does not only increase, but it begins to leak out of your life. You know, sometimes if you're not in the Word of God on a regular basis, pretty soon, not only are you cheating yourself out of the wisdom that you could be gaining from the Word of God, what you do have begins to leak out, and it's gone. Your powers, your ability, no longer, you no longer have the ability to hold it in. You can no longer make use of what you learn and what you know. Long before that day comes, we need to make sure that we become all that we can become in Christ. A preacher by the name of Paul Van Gorder said this, No one has ever regretted, not one single human being has ever regretted following the Lord as hard and as soon as possible. But vast multitudes will regret in eternity waiting until it was too late. Not only does that, can that easily refer to the one who's the non-believer who refuses Christ, that definitely applies to those of us who are believers as well. And so we need to think about these things. What kind... So maybe, maybe a better question is not what kind of person do I want to be? What kind of Christian do I want to be? I think for the Christian, those, that question should be... The, that's the same. Just ask in a different way. But we need... It's important that we become more like Christ. Remember that if you become more like Christ, you will be wiser. You will have a greater sense of satisfaction and contentment. You will be more joyful. You will be more ease, at more ease with yourself. You will be more at ease with others. You won't be as argumentative. You won't be as negative. There will be others who will want to seek from you wisdom and answers to life. The more you and I become like Christ, all those things happen. Those things don't happen because we want them to or because we wish they will. It comes from deciding that we're going to follow Christ hard. And I'm going to remember God, my Creator, and make Him central to everything in my life. Many people and philosophers share the same feeling that something terribly important has gone out of our lives as human beings. That somewhere, we don't know how, but somewhere we, the human race, has made a wrong turn. And now we cannot find our way back home. Life is no longer in right proportion. It does not seem whole. Are we being unmade as men? What are we really? All those questions, all those thoughts, those are the cries of our souls. Remember this. The gospel of Jesus Christ shines light into the dark corners of our hearts. The gospel frees us from the need either of hiding from others or putting ourselves on display. God knows you and me truly. Not just the image that we want to portray to others, but you. The you or the me that we don't want anyone else to see. And He loves us anyway. He loves us enough to make us more like Himself. The gospel of Jesus Christ makes it possible for us to be truly known. Because again, it's the story of God's condescension to us. His willingness to take on humanity and live our life and die our death and blaze the way into His new world. That last little phrase there, I think it was Warren Wiersbe who said that. But I just like the way he put it, and blaze the way into his new world. So if you're young, don't put this off. If you're older, don't put this off. A man by the name of George Boucher said this, and he was quoted in a book that I was reading. He says, it's important that we live by the words, Thy will be done. 
So turn off the TV and read a book. Play with your children or grandchildren. Start a garden. Write an overdue letter to your mother and father. Snub a politician. I thought that was great. Life and love are person to person. Love thy neighbor. Eh, even a politician. Get out of yourself and live. Remember, and when it comes to the phrase, remember God your creator. What that gives to you and me as believers is the freedom and the ability and the capability to live life in this way. We need to be cheerful people. We, it's not just, you know, a lot of us do this because we do it with each other all the time. Hey, how you doing? Well, I'm doing better than I deserve. And that's true. I'm doing fabulously better than I deserve. I am so happy. I really am. Life is grand. Is it grand because I get everything I want? No, because I don't. Is it grand because I have a pain-free life? You ever seen me walk? It's not. But life is fantastic. Is my life grand because there are not people who, who, uh, who don't like me? Oh, there's people who don't like me. There's people who misunderstand me. There's all kinds of things that are out there. But my life is fantastic. I love it because I know God and more importantly, He knows me because of His grace. And so I want you to have that joy and carry that joy with you. And the way that you do that is by simply going back to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. Now remember, the God, our Creator. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you so much, Father, for your goodness to us. Father, if we were to sit down and begin to write all the things you've done for us, even though we might think in the beginning that list would be short, or that we might be done in a few moments, we'd soon begin to, Father, realize that we would be there for hours. And the more that we think about it, the more things we'd realize that you have done for us. And perhaps, Lord, our, our hearts would swell with gratefulness. We pray, Lord, you help us to come to a sense of that. To really experience that sense of gratefulness that we should have towards you. Lord, I know, maybe some have already confessed this, but I know, Lord, that many of us, maybe all of us at times, some of us more often than we want to admit, we have not really thought about God in that way. Oh, we think about you on Sundays. And we think about you when we, you know, turn on the Christian radio at times, or... Perhaps when we see our Bible lying on the table. Father, we ask that you would help us to follow those things that Solomon has given us. I do pray that for each one here, Father, who, who strives, who wants to do this simple but profound and difficult thing, to remember you, I pray that you would bless each one and help us, Father, to do this one simple thing. And I pray, Lord, you'd cause our eyes to open and that we would see all of life in a very new and different way and that we would understand what it means to have sweet fellowship with you. As always, Father, we do ask for those who may not know Christ, we, we actually pray, Lord, that their lives would become much more miserable than they are now because, Father, too often we become, we, we kind of find a, a level of comfort in whatever suffering we have. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to experience it in a much greater intensity. We, we don't ask that, Lord, for them because we want to see them suffer. We want to see them awakened to the realization they need Christ. That, Father, they may have what we have. That they may embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
and have the great capacity for joy that we have and experience on a daily basis. Forgive us, Father, of our sadness. Forgive us, Father, of our complaining. Forgive us, Father, of being so negative. Help us, Father, to be realistic about life, yet joyful. And so we do thank you. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.